0: Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. It is Memorial Day weekend, and a lot of people feel like today is about and we've had we've had him on just about every holiday, every major holiday. He's our resident historian. But today we want to do a little spin on it and bring in the the blackness. Because Memorial Day is one of the blackest, blacker than Juneteenth. By that I mean blacker than Juneteenth. Memorial Day. Is us like we, y'all ain't celebrating this day without black people. So let me uh welcome to the show. He's a historian, uh, the uh purveyor. He he's done all of the you don't know much about anything like for 30 years. If you ain't know nothing, he was trying to let you know in the shadow of liberty. One of the best audio books. Oh my goodness, uh, Strong Man, More Deadlier Than War, about the the other plague that we had, all kinds of books. This man has been doing, and he's here today to talk about Memorial Day. Let me welcome resident historian Kenneth C. Davis. Hi.
1: Hello, Karen. I'm sorry. I there thought that I thought that was all done in house, but we're we're all learning our Zoom. Wow. I'm so glad you got the twerking and the percolating out of the way with Dante. <laughs> We, yeah, we don't have want to, to go there.
0: Yeah, I didn't want to. Well, but, let me ask you this, though. What you know about the percolator? I mean, if you know about the percolator, I'm, I'm looking at you through new eyes. If well, you know. all
1: I know is I make coffee. So okay, well, that's, that's, that's the per- That's a great because
0: I was about to go. Let me find out. Kenneth C. Davis knows about the percolator.
1: <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But thank you for having me as always. It's it's a pleasure. And I'll just uh, since I was listening in, I'm just going to have to throw out Tina Turner. She can sing and she can dance. So that would be. Mm. mm.
0: So so when I so here's here's what first of all, you have to define what is singing and what is dancing (laughs) right now. Tina Turner can howl, she can blow, she can watch love, but, you know, she can, she can come from the back of the folk and push it out. When I talk, when I think about singers, I'm thinking Luther Vandross, who can hit every note and scale and come back and forth. I'm thinking Minnie Ripperton. I'm thinking Whitney Aretha. Houston, Aretha, who can do things with their voices. Aretha can go sing an aria with no practice. Oh, Pavarotti's out. I got it. Give me the mic. I'm going to sing an aria at the damn, I forgot it was the Grammys or something. I'm like, yeah. that, that's a singer. Dancing, yeah. dancing is, you know, that's a whole, you know, Tina could dance, but a lot of that was just like kind of like herky-jerky <laughs> movement. It wasn't like she was. Pop
2: six, seven, eight.
0: Yeah, she was part of six, red, seven, Right. Eight. right. Yeah. She wasn't <laughs> like coming up with her own moves and stuff. Like when Michael did that moonwalk, I remember I was sitting in front. I was a little girl sitting in front of the television, that 25th Motown anniversary. And they, he had that one glove thing and he did that pop with his coochie, And then he did that moonwalk. And we were like, what the hell? He did the mashed potato. Everyone did the mashed potato. Michael did the mashed potato. You know, it was like he, he was, he was on another level. There's an ethereal thing. That's what I mean. I'm talking about other level. You don't get the other level gifts in both realms. You get one okay. or the other.
1: That's all. I'm saying. All right. I'm, I I'm. just cast my vote. So okay. that, that's all. all. Right. We'll, we'll leave that argument for another day. But OK, thank you. It's a, an important <laughs> day. And I'm, I'm glad we're I'm glad we're having fun talking and, you know, because people say, can you say happy Memorial Day? Because it's not a happy day. It's the most solemn day on the American calendar. In fact, at three o'clock. The law, the Congress, actually, with Bill Clinton 30 years ago, asked us to take a moment of silence. A moment of silence for what? This is a day that is dedicated to the memory of those who gave their lives in service to the country in all of its wars. That's what it is today. That's not how it began. We'll talk about that. And before I start, I mean, I should really say this in, in, in earnest because the last few weeks, the last week in particular, have been terrible times as a father, as a grandfather, as an American, as a human being. We have seen what happened in Texas and elsewhere in Buffalo, and it, it is heartbreaking. It is sickening and appalling. Um, and this holiday is about loss and remembrance, tragedy and remembrance. So in a way, it's fitting that we should be thinking about the tragedy of the loss in American history and what it means. So a quick conversation about how this holiday started. There's some controversy about it, but when we talk about May 30th, and today is May 30th, 1868, it was the first sort of formal declaration of a holiday to mark the graves of fallen Union soldiers. And I want to be specific about. Fallen Union soldiers to go out to their graves and decorate them with fresh flowers. Hence, it was called Decoration Day. When I was a kid growing up uh, just outside New York City in Mount Vernon, New York, it was Memorial Day, but it was still also Decoration Day. That held on for a long time. That was the idea, to go and honor the memory of those who had fallen, fighting for the Union, And what were they fighting for? Well, the the general who made this proclamation said it quite specifically. They were fighting for the fact that they had emancipated a race in, in chains, as he said at that time. And so we can't separate this out from what was happening in 1868. Now I know a lot of people will say, "Well, it was it was there was one in 1865," and yes, that's all true. And Doc uh, uh, Professor David Blight uh, taught us all about the ceremony of young emancipated children who went out to honor Union soldiers in Charleston, South Carolina, in 1865. There are records in other places around that time. Uh, in Petersburg, Virginia of, of this doing. So it wasn't that it was a new idea or started, the idea started on this date, but this was the first official rec- recognition. And this man, this general, whose name was John Logan, he had been a union general during the Civil War. He was a very prominent Republican uh, politician. He actually was the, one of the house managers for the impeachment of Andrew Johnson the president who succeeded Abraham Lincoln. Um, He was uh, impeached, but not removed from office. Um, So General Logan had called to this day to really to honor the Union soldiers who had fought to end slavery and to end what he called a treasonous rebellion. And so that's what this holiday was born as. Remember that four years of fighting, 1861 to 1865, more than 600,000 Americans died. We think that number may be much higher, 800,000 perhaps. Uh, Perhaps 2% of the American population at that time. An extraordinary uh, tragedy that took and touched every village, every city, every uh, town in this country. And that's why today you still go throughout the country and you see in the center of the smallest town, a civil war memorial because it, it touched so many. Now, of course, there were states that did not honor this May 30th date. That was a union holiday, a Yankee holiday. So the former Confederate states began to announce their own decoration days or Memorial days. So this holiday is completely tied in to the fact that a war had been fought over slavery. And there are still people who wanna argue that, they are usually somewhat ignorant of of the facts and we've spent a lot of time talking about that in the past. But the point is that we can't get away from the history and right now a lot of people in this country are trying to get us away from talking about the history of this country and how wrapped up we are in the question of slavery leading up to the Civil War and in the more than 150 years since.
0: Right, let me ask you this. Uh, Kenneth C. Davis is here. The number is 866-801-8255. And not to be, um, I'm just, yeah, as you're talking, the the holiday was to honor, and there were so many Africans who also lost their lives. Right, it were uh, a lot of Africans, formerly enslaved people, who fought on the side of the Union. Were they given a place? Uh, because it, there's this beautiful book um, called "A Day for Remembering," inspired by the true events of the first Memorial Day, which talks about you know th- the way in which they decorate de- decorated the graves of these of these formerly enslaved, in particular, who fought for the Union. I'm also curious, Kenneth um, and Dante, feel free to, to jump in. If this holiday was to celebrate those brave men who put their lives, because it was just men, really, women helped out, I'm sure, and I'm sure that the women who lost their lives were not included in this Decoration Day. But that those men that lost their lives, now we have to include the Confederacy? That, to me, seems... Um, The reason why we're here right now is that we haven't properly put the Confederacy in its place of traitors, of people who uh, defiled this union, people who uh, fought against the way the British did against this country. And everybody who fought on that side were losers and were traitors and they don't deserve a statue or monument or any kind of holiday to celebrate them. And this is why I think America is at odds right now with itself is because we can't have a simple... A simple agreement that if you wage war against a country, you are a traitor.
1: You're absolutely right, Karen. And we've had this conversation for a long time. I, I, I know that all the youngins listen out there don't know that you and I have been talking about my book, Don't Know Much About History, for about as long as it's been out, which is at more than 30 years now. Um, I, I hate to date us, uh, but you started obviously talking to me when you were a very young child. Um, but this, this is central to the story, what you're saying, but we've seen a tremendous reckoning also in the past few years, especially since the emergence uh, of the Black Lives Matter movement in the wake of uh, the dreadful murders that we have seen. And so we've begun to contend with that. It's not been easy and it's not been pleasant. And some people are going drag, being dragged, kicking and screaming every inch of the way, including all those people with tiki torches who were in in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, saying you will not replace us a few years ago. The moment which Joe Biden says really prompted him to run for president again. Uh, So this is a a, a really a, a, a powerful moment in our history. I just read last week uh, that the Pentagon has, uh, is in the midst of uh, a a process of changing the names of the army bases. I believe there are still nine of them, nine army bases named for Confederate generals, which is an outrage just on the face of it. You don't need to have any political uh, leanings one way or another to say United States army bases shouldn't be named for men who tried to destroy the United States, which is what the Confederacy tried to do. Um, so I think we've, you know, moved a long way in a few years compared to how long we've been. Many people like me have been arguing that there's something very wrong here. But to, just to go to the point of what uh, you were speaking, I'm going to go back to uh, 1871, the thir- maybe the third. Uh, a semi-official Memorial Day or Decoration Day. And Frederick Douglass actually went to Arlington and spoke that day. And he said, and I'll read it. It's a little bit long, but I'll read it. We are sometimes asked in the name of patriotism to forget the merits of this fearful struggle, the Civil War, and to remember with equal admiration those who struck at the nation's life and those who struck to save it those who fought for slavery and those who fought for liberty and justice. I am no minister of malice, Douglas said. I would not strike the fallen. I would not repel the repentant, but may my right hand forget her cunning and my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I forget the difference between the parties to that terrible, protracted and bloody conflict. That was Frederick Douglas in 1871. Um, sort of making the argument that I think you're making right now. So no, the country has moved a long way from where it used to be about this idea of the Confederacy as some noble lost cause. That was a, a, a tremendous misreading of history that got taught in our schools for over 100 years. And now it's been dismantled. And there are still, as we know, people clawing to stop that new narrative, the correct narrative from being taught uh, because somehow it creates shame for white children.
2: Mr. Davis, I was just thinking that uh, after what when you talk about Johnson and the reinstating of uh, Confederate Confederate generals to Congress and so on and so forth as a way to keep the union together, to keep this kind of give back, How do you see, this in terms of how we are tolerant to this behavior of this treasonous behavior, even now?
1: Well, it's it's a really good question, Dante. Thank you very much. And I'd have to say that, you know, part of the reason that this narrative of states' rights as the reason for the civil war, the lost cause, these noble Uh, these noble people fighting for some sense of their liberty and the original ideas of the Constitution. It's utter nonsense, but it got accepted because it still was a white supremacist society. And uh, when uh, in 1876, now we're moving well past the immediate aftermath of the Civil War, Reconstruction had been going on. Reconstruction was meant that federal troops were in those former Confederate states and they were going to remain there until those states agreed to do the things they were supposed to do, including allowing uh, emancipated black men to vote under the 15th Amendment to the Constitution. So uh, this was all met with violence as we know, the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, the rise of of, uh, citizens groups, so-called citizens groups to suppress the black vote and to reinstate a form of slavery once emancipation had happened. In 1876, because of a very contested election, a Republican president agreed to withdraw the troops from the South. That was essentially the end of federal reconstruction in the South. And really opened the floodgates for the, the uh, former white supremacist leaders in uh, the pre Civil War to, uh, uh, South to come back. Um, and that continued for a long time. And uh, there's no question that the suppression of what happened to create the Civil War and what happened in its aftermath were buried in school books for a very long time. And we've had a lot of very, very great scholarship in the past. 20 years to try and address this, but some people, just as we know about this or many things, don't want to hear the truth.
0: You know, to, to Dante's point um, as well, it's it's interesting when you think more than 1,500 Black men were elected to office between those years of 1865 and 1877, 1,500, 1,500, 12 years, which tells you a couple of things. First of all, that Black folks understood the power of representation Right. And they also could were capable of representing themselves and their community uh, in Congress, in the state houses. And you, you think about right after Reconstruction, that number dwindled down to almost nothing. Right. Because of the threat of being lynched and, and killed and your family being harmed and just a sheer terroristic violence. Right. Uh, that, that wiped all of those advances away. And I just wonder how advanced would this country be? There's a, a clip going around with. Um, Paul Robeson talking about, you know, the the way in which America failed by not including folk who actually could make it better. Like people don't see how inclusion actually makes it easier for all of us, you know, but this this uh, just wiping away of all of this progress and they keep doing it.
1: It's an important point. um, And it's an important point today. We're thinking about, you know, sacrifice by people in the military and black men and women, served in every conflict in this country's history going back to the American Revolution, as you well know. And George Washington, when he took over the Continental Army in 1775, did not want to let Black men have guns. Uh, He finally relented because he didn't have enough white men to to carry guns. So uh, they eventually did allow uh, the recruitment of uh, often enslaved men who would be given their uh, freedom in exchange for fighting. And their numbers were significant and they served in every engagement. They were there at Yorktown at the end of uh, the revolution in 1781 when, uh, when the British surrender. Uh, and then George Washington went to recover all of the enslaved people who were with the British, hoping that the British were going to free them another piece of the hidden history, and we've certainly talked about that. So this is part of the history and the narrative that I and many other historians have been trying to uh, correct, especially in the past few years. Um, The US colored troops, as they were known, we mentioned, I just mentioned the name of Frederick Douglass. Douglass was the most outspoken, angry, uh, a apostle for calling on Lincoln to allow Black men to serve. And he finally did after the Emancipation Proclamation. Of course, that was met in New York City by draft riots that uh, uh, white men did not want to go to fight now for, to free Black men. So th- this is part of the history that we have to tell. But U.S. colored troops fought in most of the engagements in the Civil War. There is a section in Arlington Cemetery, this sacred space that is dedicated to the U.S. colored troops. Many of those gravestones are anonymous. They were unidentified. How uh, extraordinary is that? Um, By the way, just a little more connection of Civil War history to Arlington and this day. Everybody knows the president went down to Arlington today, uh, put a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Uh, Arlington Cemetery was created out of land, taken from the family of Robert E. Lee, while he was the general of the Virginia troops fighting against the United States. When Abraham Lincoln is in the White House, he can look across the river to Arlington and see Confederate flags flying. During the war, The federal government took that land ostensibly because Mrs. Lee hadn't paid her taxes, but uh, a general, a union general then said, whose son had died in the war, that the appropriate use for this land would be to turn it into a cemetery. And that is how, in fact, we got Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, I was recently asked by someone uh, while we're discussing this history, why is there a, a memorial to Robert E. Lee in the middle of Arlington? And there is. It's called Arlington House. Uh, The explanation is that Lee, while he had uh, committed this treasonous act, uh, did a great deal to try and knit the country back together. Um, You can take that explanation as as you will. It's at the National Park Service um, website about Arlington, and you can read about Arlington House and its uh, legacy there. So this is a, you know, a fraught conversation about what this holiday means and what it means to different people, but ultimately it is about what um, I think uh, Abraham Lincoln said in the most important speech in American history delivered uh, uh, in uh, Gettysburg on November 19th, 1863, where he would talked about the fact that these men who they, they were being buried in a federal cemetery to honor them, and he said, it is for us, to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain and that's to me what this holiday is still about and that's why i think Uh, In a way, it is a happy Memorial Day. We have extraordinary freedoms. We have extraordinary liberties. We can go and do the barbecue and do all the other things, jump in the lake, go to the beach, um, because people, many people gave their lives for this country Mm -hmm. of all colors, of all races. And that is what we honor today. Uh, The meaning of Memorial Day or Decoration Day changed in 1918 when hundred thousand soldiers died fighting in World War I. That was when it was acknowledged that this holiday should now be a holiday to honor all those who gave their lives in fighting in all of America's wars. And that's what we um, are thinking about and doing today.
0: Kenneth C. Davis, you can follow him at Kenneth C. Davis on Twitter. Don't know much dot com for the whole uh for all of his books and there are a lot way too many to to name them all uh we're talking about memorial day which is today it's a holiday we're here live on the karen hunter show dante nero is here uh as well and i I was just curious as i was thinking about all of the people buried at arlington memorial um at the cemetery including people like Megar evers and his brother you know um it's a lot of people that you wouldn't know are there how much land is there going to be a time because we have now war civil war world war war world war War one two korea vietnam uh desert storm desert shield you know uh there's so many conflicts now that america has participated in and people unfortunately have lost their lives are they now cremating and just putting the urn in the ground like there's got it there's no there's a limit to the amount of land right
1: yes you're absolutely right karen and and there's um I don't want to get into too much of the weeds of this. Arlington has very specific rules for who uh, can and shall be buried there. Uh, uh, They certainly do make uh, uh, space for uh, cremations. Um, So anybody's interested in that question, I really defer to the Arlington website, which is quite beautiful, by the way, and and really offers a lot of this history. Uh, offers the story of the creation of Memorial Day and the creation of Arlington. So um, yeah, that, that is an issue at, at Arlington. It is uh, limited space. Eventually uh, they will have to um, shut it down, but there are it's not the only national cemetery also. There are national cemeteries all over the country. There are also uh, overseas cemeteries where um, many men uh, and women are, are buried from all the wars, going back to you know, World War I, the Spanish-American War to the Mexican War. There are Americans buried in Mexico City uh, from the uh, Mexican War in the 19th century. Um, but these, this is a, a question that um, really does come up. Uh, eventually, yes, they will have to limit who will be able to get into Arlington. And there is a very, very specific set of, of um, requirements for that right now
0: uh also on this day may 30th uh the Kansas Nebraska Act was signed into law uh which also i think has a tie uh maybe the precursor or the thing that, that led to the civil war um some say
1: it was certainly one of the major factors in leading uh to the civil war all of this but let's let's be <laughs> let's be clear once again when i say that slavery the civil war was about slavery I have to go to great lengths to explain to people that this was not a moral question for most Americans. Yes, there were Americans passionately opposed to slavery who wanted to see abolition. They were widely considered a fringe group. They were uh, uh, often persecuted. Uh, We're talking about book bannings and book burnings in uh, in Charleston, uh, South Carolina. They burned abolitionist pamphlets in 1835. Two years later in Illinois, they burned the pamphlets of an abolitionist publisher named Elijah Lovejoy. And that wasn't enough. They actually murdered him while he was trying to defend his presses. Um, So this is always been part of the problem is that we think of slavery as some kind of moral issue. Most Americans were fine with slavery. Abraham Lincoln himself did not campaign on abolition. What he did not want was the extension of slavery, and this was the Republican Party platform, the extension of slavery into any of the new states that were being opened up as this massive continent was being uh, developed, and new states were being created, new states out of new territories. Would those states come into the nation as slave states or free states? Why does that matter? Because enslaved people, as we know, were counted in the census as three-fifths of a person. That means that Virginia, which had fewer free white people than Massachusetts or Pennsylvania in 1790, had a larger population when you encountered the enslaved population, even as three-fifths of a person. That means Virginia got the most seats in Congress. Virginia got the most electors in what we call the Electoral College. That means that four of the first five presidents were slaveholders from Virginia. Five of the first seven presidents were slaveholders. 10 of the first uh, 12 presidents were uh, slaveholders and most were sympathetic to slavery, slavery and the slaveholding States with the exception of John Adams and John Quincy Adams until Abraham Lincoln's election. Slavery in other words, represented enormous political power. So every state that was gonna come into the union with, uh, with slavery meant two more Senate seats, at least one more house seat and then three more votes in the presidential election system. This was the political power that the Republican Party was trying to break or at least limit. They never called for abolition. They just didn't want the extension of slavery in the new territories. Abraham Lincoln proposed slavery could continue for another 40 years in 1862 as president. He, he put that into the State of the Union address. So this was not a moral issue. It became a moral issue finally for Lincoln and he speaks about it in that same Gettysburg Address that I mentioned earlier. Uh, The other aspect of this obviously is that slavery represented enormous financial power. This was wealth. It was America's biggest business at the beginning of the 19th century. We think of, you know, railroads and oil and all those things that nothing was as big as slavery plus cotton and the two things were inseparable. So this these are the reasons that slavery led to the Civil War. Was it a moral issue? Again, only for a few. Did it become a moral issue during the war? For Lincoln, absolutely.
0: Mm. Do you have anyone um, in your family, Kenneth C. Davis, that served and, and lost their lives that
1: I, I, my father, uh, was in, uh, North Africa and Italy, but survived it. Um, unfortunately didn't talk about it too much. Like many of the men from that generation were kind of tight-lipped about what had happened to them, what they had seen, what they had done. Uh, I have, uh, other family members now past uh, 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 one, uh, cousin who was, uh, uh, conscientious objector during Vietnam and, uh, went, had to go as a medic and, um, uh, lost his legs in, in a, uh, a mine expo- uh, explosion and spent the rest of his life in poor health and, on prosthetics because of that. So um, I'm, uh, this sense of sacrifice and loss is something, I think that because my father and my the generation of my father and his brothers, my uncles, uh, my wife's father, We were the children of those guys who went to fight the Nazis and fight the fascists. Um, And so that sense was very real to me as a kid growing up. I I talk about quite frequently the fact that when I was a kid in Mount Vernon, New York, just outside of New York City, Memorial Day was a far more important day in many respects than the Fourth of July because Memorial Day was the day that all of the schools were closed, but that didn't mean you got the day off. You went to march in the town parade and all the Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and the Girl Scouts and the Foreign Legion and all the veterans groups all marched. It was very much a civic tradition and a very powerful one. And that stayed with me for a long time. Gradually, because of Vietnam, I think a lot of people's views of the military and Memorial Day changed and mm-hmm. it was not celebrated. And I'm sure you have listeners who might be of the Vietnam generation who don't have good memories of coming mm-hmm. home and uh, being and treated what right. happened on yes. Memorial Day.
0: And now and now we have uh, a, the, your parents uh, fought fascism and now we're raising a generation of fascists. So I guess that, I don't know how that turns out, so okay?
2: I was I was just wondering, um, as a historian, it's interesting because when I was a child, I was I hated history. And as an adult, I love history. And especially because of the fact that we see these things repeating itself over and over. And you're, as a historian, it's almost as if you're the keeper of the flame. How do you feel about this kind of rewriting of history, this extensive, like we're literally talking about voter suppression and the, the conversation that happened uh in, in the inception of this country now we're having these same and how do you, how does that make you feel and what is your hope for the future when they're pushing back so so adamantly about yeah. changing the, 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 the course of history or Thank at you, least Don. the representation
1: I, i'm glad to hear you say you hated history i've heard it many times over <laughs> the years well, that's why i wrote a book called don't know much about history <laughs> Uh, It wasn't for the people who loved history, it was for the people who hated it and slept through class, never learned it or learned it all wrong. And that's what I've tried to do in my career is is correct the, the mistakes. When you say rewriting history, some history needs to be rewritten because it was so badly written in the past and so badly taught in the past. Um, we've had a cri- the, the idea that Americans don't know much about history now is not a new idea. It goes back a long time. It's a very, very old idea, in fact. So th- there's a lot of work to be done. I've always believed that you talk about history by telling real stories of real people in real places. It's not a long list of dates and battles and, and speeches. And I'm sure when you say that you're more interested in it now, that's true for a lot of people. They they say, "Gee, I wish they had told us that story in high school." I hear that all the time from people who listen to me tell uh, tell my version of American history, um, with which has a little more flesh and blood and some of the you know bits they left out because they whitewashed it when we were kids. There's no two ways about it. Um, so this is um, goes hand in hand with a big change in education in the past few years that's moved us away from teaching history. Um, This is the, first of all, No Child Left Behind and all of the other uh, names they've given these things, STEM, uh, English language arts, have really taken away from the importance of continuing to teach history, civics, geography, economics, as the social studies, as, as they are now known. I spend a lot of time talking with teachers. I spend a lot of time directly talking to students. I've I've spoken to probably six or 700 classrooms filled with kids over the past uh, 10 to 15 years. And I would say that the students and many of their teachers are far more engaged than adults are. And they are asking these questions and they want to hear these stories and they want to know an accurate uh, representation of history. So I think we're, we're in this really sweet spot in a way where you have a lot of very, very good historians out uh, there writing and speaking about the history of slavery uh, and its impact in America. Uh, obviously, the 1619 Project, which came out a few years ago, uh, was a, a landmark in reassessing how we think and talk about history. And that's certainly the, one of the reasons it's been met with such a broadside of criticism. Most of it unfair, most of it inaccurate. Um, so this is a really important question. Whose history is it? How do we teach it? How do we make it real? Because there's no question in my mind that understanding history is really important for two reasons. First of all, it explains who we are, and how we got to where we are today. You cannot understand the history of this country and where it is today without understanding the long history of slavery, the long history of the, the treatment of the uh, Native Americans and all of the other aspects, the, the treatment of immigrants throughout our history. And these are the things that were kind of soft peddled to us in school, the melting pot, how, how great it was. Every generation of immigrants has been met by hatred. They've been called dirty, dangerous, and diseased. That goes back to the, you know, before the Irish started coming in the 19th century, it was the the French before that. And of course the, the Chinese and other Asians in the 19th century. So those parts of our history shape who we are today and we have to understand them. And the second part of that is if we don't understand what happened in the past, if we don't understand what went wrong, and sometimes what went right, we will not fix it. Uh, Karen mentioned my book, More Deadly Than War. It was a book about the Spanish influenza pandemic of 1918, and it came out two years before the pandemic hit here. Um, And there were a lot of lessons that we should have and could have learned from 1918 that were either people were ignorant of, which I don't believe certainly at the highest levels in the medical world, or were ignored, and because we ignored the lessons of 1918 in many respects, the country is suffering has, has suffered this tremendous loss of more than a million people. When this started, I, I thought this could get very bad. I did not envision a million. Americans dying, especially after we produced the vaccine in such an extraordinary short time. So that's why I'm kind of always been passionate about this. I do love history. I've loved history since I was a kid. It's really too important to leave to school. And that's one of the reasons I've written books for young people and I've written books for adults. And I always like it when they talk to each other about them um, because we need to have much more of a conversation about history around the dinner table.
0: Yes, which is why you're here. Every historic moment, we bring you through. And I just want to take a minute, a moment of silence for anybody who lost someone in war in this country, fighting for the rights of the uh, for the people of this country, fighting for the freedoms that many of us do not have, fighting for freedoms that they did not have, but fighting Nonetheless, in losing their lives, we're going to take a moment of silence. I want to say first, thank you to Kenneth C. Davis. I appreciate you being here. Dante's going to stick around. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.